Second Peter chapter number 3, look at verse 1. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. Knowing this, first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Look at verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In this passage, the Apostle Peter is reminding believers, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Saviour, of the scoffers that would multiply in the last days. Now, the last days is from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. But as the days have progressed, 2,000 years, if you will, after the crucifixion or the resurrection, if you like, roundabout, we see these scoffers multiplying. Scoffers are mockers. They're mockers. They, they mock the things of God. In particularly, in our passage before us, they mock the second coming or even the first coming of Christ. Even when Christ dwelt amongst us, the people mocked him. Christ incarnate, God, man, they mocked him. And they scoffed him, even when they, uh, when they was on the cross. Uh, they wagged their heads and they undermined our Savior. But even today, they multiply. Scoffers and mockers today undermine the things of God. Now, how do these scoffers know about the promise of the coming of Christ? Whether it be the first coming of Christ or whether it be the second coming of Christ, how do these scoffers know? How do these mockers know? How? Well, he simply says in verse, uh, if you will, verse 2, he says that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and now by the apostles. The simple prophecy of the preaching and teaching of the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets and the preaching that is carried on today in this divine book. We have this book, Old Testament, New Testament, divine wisdom uh, from God. This is a holy book. Holy men preached the holy word of God. And so how do they know? Because they heard it over and over and over again from one generation to another generation, there was always a dropkick on the corner preaching the coming of Christ. And with the coming of Christ, what do you think happens? Impending judgment. This is why they try to undermine the coming of Christ is because of the details that surround his second coming. They know when God comes and he will judge unrepentant sinners. And that's still true today. But somehow the mockers and scoffers want to undermine the second coming of Christ because if you can undermine the coming of Christ, you undermine the judgment to come. Yeah. People do not want to believe that there's a judgment coming. 
That's why they'd rather believe that when they die, they go in the grave. I've heard it many times. I ask people, if you were to die today, where will you go? They say, I'm just going to go in the grave. I'd say, you're more than worm food. You're more than dust. God had created you with a purpose. And so these mockers and scoffers seem to undermine the, uh, uh, the, the, the preaching of the prophets, the, cheat, the preaching of the apostles, and even preachers today. Even John the Baptist preached on the wrath of God to come. As a matter of fact, he warned the religious rulers of the day regarding the wrath of God to come. He said this, O generation of vipers. What's, what, what are they? You're snakes. Your generation of vipers, you snakes. Why did Jesus do this? Well, remember last Sunday night, we looked at these Pharisees are hypocrites trying to undermine the word of God by keeping to their own tradition. And here John the Baptist exposes them, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. He says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. So John the Baptist even caused the religious rulers to repent. And the reason why people want to undermine <clears throat> The second coming of Christ, which will detail the judgment of God, is because they do not want to repent and they love their sin and their lustful lifestyle. You say, is that in the passage? Well, it is in the passage. Have a look at verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, what are they doing? Walking after their own lusts. See, Paul also uh, brings or declares this in Romans chapter 1, that the people that didn't want to retain God in their knowledge are the people that love to sin. They take pleasure in evil. They know evil. They know the truth. They reject the truth. They don't want to repent. And they love to just follow after their own lust. Well, Jesus said the same thing. The reason why people won't come to the light is because they love darkness more than the light. As a matter of fact, let me quote him. He says this in John chapter 3, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Look at this. Lest their deeds shall be what? Reproved. I don't want to be reproved. They don't want the light to shine upon them, to show them that they're a sinner, that they will turn from their wicked ways and turn to God. They love their sin. They love their lust. And even uh, Paul says to Timothy that in the perilous times shall come, men shall be lovers of self more than lovers of God. That's what we see today. Even professing Christians today claim that they know Jesus Christ as their saviour, but they are just absolutely... Uh, filled with extortion, excess, and lust. They froth at the mouth. I love it. That's why they don't want to turn. That's why they want to undermine the truth. That's why they want to undermine the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they don't want to deal with these preachers. So what do you mean? They undermine the preaching, so they undermine the preacher. They undermine Christ. What's their excuse for not believing the promise of the second coming? Well, notice their lousy excuse. Look at verse 4. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, the fathers would be indicating who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Perhaps he was dealing here even with professing Jews that, known, that claimed to know God. Well, where are they? Where, where is God? Since Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are dead and buried, everything's continuing the same. Now, ironically, 
Ironically, they left out what? What did they leave out? They started from Abraham and moved forward. Yeah, well, I mean, where is God? Uh, things are just, you know, continuing as they... Uh, uh, God's not judging sinners. God's not judging the world. Well, God's not intervening. Where is this, uh, you know, the wrath of God poured out upon the whole world? Well, Peter reminds them of, first of all, creation. God did intervene. As a matter of fact, without God, we wouldn't, have, we wouldn't be here today. Have a look. Verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant. Willingly. So deliberately, they were ignorant of the word of God, framing the earth. Amen. And the earth standing out of the water, in the water. So they choose to be ignorant of the fact that God created the world. In other words, they were just professing fools, scoffers, ignorant, not understanding that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. You know, creation speaks of a creator. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Why? So that they are without excuse. But ironically, they want to start from Abraham and onwards and miss out the creation account. Behind every painting, there's a painter. Behind every building, there's a builder. Behind every creature, there's a creator. You cannot deny a creator God. He's everywhere around us and you can see it. They choose ignorantly, willfully, to undermine a creator God. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they love their lust. We all go, we go back to the very key of the reason why they undermine because they love their sin. They love it. They take pleasure in sin. They take pleasure to live their lives without God. Now, number two, they undermine the days of Noah. And he actually points them to the days of Noah. Look at verse 6. Whereby the world that then was. What world? Well, God created the world and then he flooded the world and started all over again. Every, I believe everybody almost in the world knows the account of Noah. Jesus reminds them about the days of Noah. People know about the ark. They mock the ark. They mock Noah. They mock the account. Hey, what about the, the, the rainbow, the flag? Who's hijacked the rainbow today? You ever wonder why they have hijacked the rainbow today? It's almost like they use that flag to rub it in God's face and say, where is the promise of judgment? Where is it? Because God did promise that he wasn't going to judge the world with water. But guess what? He's going to judge the world the second time with fire. Have a look. It's even in our account. Look at verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store. So back in the old world, God dealt with those wicked people. And they were wicked, by the way. The Bible says very clearly, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thought of the heart of the man was con evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he even made man on earth. It grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And he did. Why? Because they were wicked, evil, God-haters that love their sin. But, don't you love the conjunctions like this in the Bible? We're going to see more of them. But Noah found grace in the, in, in, in the eyes of the Lord. You know, these three people that gave testimony today found grace 
in the eyes of God. Isn't that a blessing? But those that resist or reject the grace of God, there's a coming judgment. God's going to deal with them. Have a look. Let's continue to read verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of who? Ungodly men. There it is there. You know what ungodly means? Those people that are against God. The ungodly. The ungodly people. I was once an ungodly man. I was once against God and his ways. And thank God 18 years ago, the gospel came to me and it was music to my ears. It exposed me, but it actually revealed the cross, which just broke me. And so if this happened once, it's going to happen again. Judgment came in the days of Noah. Judgment's going to come again. When? Well, this is part of the reason why God delays his coming. So look at verse 8. Why is God delaying his coming? Number one, God is outside of time. All right? But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God is not limited by time. From our perspective, the coming of Christ seems to be prolonged. And when are you coming? Is it, you know, but from God's perspective, it's like a yesterday, the psalmist said. A thousand years is like yesterday. See, the Apostle Peter is simply trying to explain to us that a thousand years is like a day under the Lord and a day a thousand, so we can comprehend that God is eternal and outside of time. He's just trying to put it in a way in which we can understand. God's not limited by time. So in God's eyes, he's, he's on time. In God's eyes, he's got everything in order. Don't worry, he's, gonna, he's, he's, he's sovereign. He's going to do it. By the way, he's watching. And he's marking down everything that's taking place. He's even marking the actions of these scoffers. And there's a book that's going to be opened one day. And they're going to be judged out of that book. Every idle word will be recorded in God's book. I don't know about you, but that's sobering to think. Their account is growing every day. Oh, I remember my account was growing. I mean, can you imagine in 24 years how many things I've done, thought, Now, I got to the end of myself when I heard the gospel and thought, this account is too large even for me to do good works to ever pay it back. Because you know how we try to outweigh the good and the bad? There's nothing that I can do to ever wipe this account. But when I saw the cross that day and I realized the blood of Christ paid it all, pay it, oh, brother, he wiped, wants to wipe your account clean. But those people that don't come to Christ, those people that want to be mockers and scoffers and always trying to undermine the word of God, their account, guess what's happening? Every day is building up, building up, building up. So God is not limited by time. Number two, and I think this is one of the greatest reasons also in our passage, the reason why there's a delay in his coming is because of God's heart for his people. God's heart for those that would repent and turn to him. You know, God loves sinful people. Now, how do you, what do you mean God loves sinful people? Well, he came for sinners, not the righteous, right? By the way, there aren't any righteous. There aren't any righteous. The Bible makes it very clear for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
For the heart of God is that none will perish. Have a look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. You know, in other words, the Lord is not sloppy. The Lord is not relaxed or slothful. He's not slack concerning his promise. He's going to fulfill it. God's promise will come to pass. It's coming. By the way, the reason why, and it's very clear here, is God is long-suffering to usward. So he's patient. To usward. Why? Look at the heart of God. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. You think it's God's will that he would want to judge people and send them to a Christless hell? No. On the contrary, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of men. It's against God's will that you perish and go to hell. That's why in eternity past, God promised the hope of eternal life before the world began. A God that cannot lie prepared for us a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. We weren't even born yet. The world wasn't even planned yet. And God still had a plan in his mind that he was going to send his sinless son to die for our sin. Did he know the record of the Genesis of account, Adam and Eve, that Adam will rebel? Yeah, absolutely. But with that knowledge, he had a plan. And the plan was to redeem people that will come and repent and turn to him. Repentance is key for salvation. So what do I need repentance? What do I need it for? Well, have a look at Romans chapter 3. Let's go through this slowly. Romans chapter 3. And let's see what the Bible says. Why we need repentance. <clears throat> Romans chapter number 3. Look at verse 11. Notice what the Bible says there in Romans 3 verse 11. It's against God's will that he'd condemn a person to hell. John chapter 3 verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him what might be saved. And so this is God's heart, God's desire. doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants them to come and know the Savior. Knowing him is to know life eternal. But he calls all men everywhere to repent. And you say, why? Look at verse 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says, we're all like sheep gone astray, once turned to his own way. Every single person that is born into this world does not seek after God. Their heart is bent against God. They're rebels in heart. They're rebels against God's law. They're rebels against God's way. They're, they're rebels against God's truth. They're rebels against this book. They're rebels. You say, oh, I can't, I can't, no, I'm not a rebel. Well, God says we are. As a matter of fact, the Bible says by the disobedience of one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. You know what? You and I have inherited the sinful nature of Adam, which makes us rebellious people. We're just, we, we, I mean, honestly, think about this for a moment. You don't have to go to university to learn how to lie. You don't have to go to university to learn how to use God's name in vain. You don't have to go to university to, uh, and get a degree on how to commit adultery or how to fornicate or how to get drunk. This, by nature, the flesh loves to do these things. 
That's why the God's holy law says, hey, no, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, exposing our sinful nature and letting us know that we need a saviour. We all have sinned and come short of the God. Look at verse 23. We all have sinned. All means all. Every single one of us. Everybody. You know, if there's a grain of sand in you that thinks that you're good, that, that I'm telling you that grain of sand was a hindrance for you to come to Christ. Now, can I just say this? We may do good things, but it, it takes an effort. It's not by our nature. See, God is good. God is holy. He's not being holy. He's not being good. He is good. It takes an effort. And, and, and by the way, when people do good or they try to do good, they want to be glorified. Now look what I have done instead of being the norm. Well, it's not the norm for us. And so I understand when you compare yourself to your next door neighbor, you might be doing better than him. And, you know, most people in the world, you may compare yourselves with those people that are uh, in prison and you might think, hey, hey, these prison inmates, if anyone deserved to go to hell, it's, it's them. And see, what does that do? That undermines your sin. When you compare yourself with others, it undermines your sin. You must compare yourself with God. You must compare yourself with God's standard. And the Bible says all of us has fallen short from God's law, God's standard, God's expectation, God's righteousness. We have failed. We have fallen. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. What's the penalty for our sin, death. And mind you, this is not just the first death. We know there's two kinds of death. There's the first and second death. The first is when you and I give up the ghost. One day we're going to cark it. When our heart stops, when we stop breathing, this body is going to go back to the dust of the ground, whether you like it or not. Death is coming and knocking at our door. Anytime, any place, it could come. We can have a heart attack right now. I could have a heart attack. That's the first death. But there's a second death. And the second death is when you're separated from God forever. And you're not just separated from God, you're separated from God to the very point that you're judged for your sin and you wake up and you're simply in a place called hell. I don't believe it. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in it. Your belief in a place called hell doesn't change the truth. I say to people on the street, I say, they don't believe in hell, I don't believe in hell. I said, have you ever lied before? They say, yeah, I have. Plenty of times. I said, well, why do you want me to believe someone that's lied plenty of times over God who's never lied? I'd rather believe God over you any day. Amen. God says there's a hell. I believe him. But also God says he doesn't want to send people to hell. Amen. For God is not willing that any should perish. Keep that, let that ring in your ear when you think about hell. God doesn't want to send you there. On the contrary, he sent his son as a sacrifice to die in your place. Look at the second part of that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but... Look, there's that conjunction. Beautiful. But the gift of God is what? Through? There it is. The gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift. Eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Escaping the second death. Go to, leave your finger there in Romans. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, look at verse 8. I want to just something very quickly and go back to Romans later. Romans <clears throat> 6, we'll look at later on, but look at this. Revelation 21, verse 8. I want you to see something here. 
The Bible says, Romans 6, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But look at this. But the who? The fearful. The unbelieving. And the abominable. And the murderers. And the whoremongers. And the sorcerers. And idolaters. Look at this. And all who? Liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the what? Second death. The second death. That's God's judgment upon human race because of their wickedness, because of their ungodliness, because of their rejection and their audacity to speak against God. A lot of people, they're God-haters. God tries to bless them and they do this to him said to the lady the other day, I gave her son a tract. I said, this is, this is for you. And his mum said, what's it about? Oh, she saw it and she said, God. I said, yes, God. And it was raining like this. I said, thank God for the rain. She goes, no, I'm sick of it. You're sick of the rain? Well, when you get a drought, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. You, you see, it's almost like no matter what God does, people are never happy with him. It's almost like they're God and they want God to come to their beck and call. I said to a lady that, I said, you know, you're sounding like as if you're God and you want God to do what you want to do. No, he's God and he can do what he wants to do and you submit to him. He's God. He's God. Sometimes we have to be reminded that he's God. We're not God. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this, who can add one cubit to his stature? Can any one of us add one cubit? from the tip of our finger to our elbow, this much to our height or even to our age without God. No, of course not. None of us can. God has the key to life and death. God has the power to save and to judge. God has. And he has every right to, whether people like it or not. It doesn't matter if you defame God or you think he's unjust or you think he's unkind. It doesn't matter what you think about God. And for those that are saved, understand that God is good and God is just. You know what you see in this passage of 2 Peter chapter 3? You see God's holiness and you see God's heart. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But at the same time, those that reject him, there's a fiery judgment that will come upon them. God's loving, but yet God's holy. That's what you see here. And you can't separate the two. A lot of people do and try to even in Christendom today. By the way, if you back it up a chapter, you don't have to, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 2, he, Peter exposes the false teachers. It's the false teachers of our day, the greasy grace gospel that is undermining the character of God. Yes. Gives people a bad perception about God. A lot of people that once believed that there's a hell don't believe it anymore. All of a sudden they've matured in the faith. Yeah, they've matured. They've become big-headed preachers and teachers that they can actually, you know, read in between the lines. No, I just take it as it is. The Bible says it very clearly and very literally. And I believe God is just and holy. And the more you go out on the street and you receive the reaction of men and their vigor, hatred toward God, you can kind of say, oh, okay, now I understand. Whoa! Yeah. God's going to deal with man accordingly. 
Go back to Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. Look at verse 23. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through who? Does it say through a Baptist church? No. Does it say through uh, uh, a religious system? No. Does it say through the Ten Commandments? No. Does it say through doing good? No. What does it say? Through Jesus Christ. Not through a denomination. Not through a religious system. Not through your own religion. A lot of people think, as long as you do good in your own religion, yeah, God will have mercy on you. You get to heaven as long as you're a good Catholic, good Muslim, good Buddhist. That doesn't work. Sounds good, but it's not according to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He says, I am, listen, the way. The Apostle Paul says, we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have the gift of eternal life. And what's involved is forgiveness of sin. Praise God for that. Our relationship with God to be reconciled. He makes us righteous and godly through faith alone. The Bible says in Ephesians, I want you to see this too, in Ephesians chapter 2, have a look quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll go back to Romans. I want you to see this. I want you to see it with your own eyes, what the Bible says here. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 8 and 9. Notice what the Bible says, for by, excuse me, for, for by what? Grace are you saved. Through faith. What's the gift? Is it grace? Is it faith? No. No, no, no. It's eternal life. It's salvation. By grace are you saved. Through faith. Salvation's the gift. That's the gift. Motivated by what? God's grace. God's grace is His undeserving favor upon us. God gave us salvation through His Son and through His blood. And we didn't deserve that. That's the gift. Through faith is the avenue which would be obtained the gift. Faith is not the gift in this passage. It's salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the gift. Do you have the gift? Do you have the grace of God upon you? Have you received it by faith? Have you cried out and asked the Lord to save you? Look at this. For by grace are you saved. Look at it. Through faith and that not of yourselves. It is what? It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should what? So how's the grace of God, the salvation of God obtained? Not by works but by faith. We receive it by faith. John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave ye power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Go back to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. I want you to see this. This amazing grace, how sweet the sound Romans 5 verse 8, God says, But God demonstrated or commendeth his love toward us, in that while we're yet sinners, look at this, Christ died for us. God gave his best for sinful people. Heaven's best for sinful people. While we're yet sinners, while we're yet without strength, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Well, who are these people being judged? They're unrepentant sinners. 
They're people that do not want to repent. They're people that do not want to trust the Lord as their Savior. They do, they do not want to call upon the name of... Look, look at Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Notice what the Bible says there. For whosoever shall what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? There you go. There it is there. Call. That's by faith, not by works. And the desperate man crying out, or woman... For God to have mercy upon their soul. Titus says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His mercy, He saved us. And this is how it was demonstrated. By the cross, Jesus hung. Six hours of pain and shame He endured on that cross for you and for me. I heard about a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard about it. That a woman that was on her deathbed, called her friend that knew that she was a Christian and said, please get someone here. I'm going to die and I don't know where I'm going. So her friend called a preacher, an evangelist, and said, would you come? And he took every opportunity to come. And he came and he started telling her about this and how Christ died for her. God commendeth his love towards you in that while yet sinners. Christ died for you. And he went on about the gospel like I'm sharing the gospel with you today. And you know what she said? She said, is that it? And being a pa passionate preacher as he was, he couldn't understand that after all that, he explained the love of God to her as best as he can and understanding that God gave his heaven best. So she said, is that all? Is that all? Is that enough? Do I have to continue to do something else? Or? And he just passionately jumped up and he said, you wicked woman. I share the love of God with you. That God sent his only son to die on the cross for you. And you say, is that all? Is that all? Is that all? That God gave his son to die in your place. He that knew no sin became sin. That we may be righteous in the sight of God. And you say, is that it? Come on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That's a promise. But have everlasting life. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. The Bible says he that believeth on the son have everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But, this is a bad conjunction, the wrath of God abideth upon him. If you're outside of Christ this morning, God's wrath is abiding upon you and it will be unleashed the day Jesus Christ comes again. You say, well, what if I die before that? He'll raise you up to his judgment and you'll be judged for every sin that you have put under that carpet. As a matter of fact, we pulled the carpet out yesterday. We had a carpet here. You know what was under that carpet? Filth! It was disgusting, man, I tell you. And we said, see, this is how it's going to be on the day of judgment. God's going to... Behind those lounges, I'll tell you something, brother. We had a bucket full of books and... Toy cars and 
Thank God we didn't find any apple cores. That would have made the place stink. But by the way, sin stinks in God's nostrils. But you know what God loves? The sweet-smelling savour of our dear Jesus. That when he died on that cross, he was dying for our sin. Isn't that a blessing? Go back to 2 Peter 3 and we're done. We're finished. 2 Peter 3. And then we, we might, I think we've got a, a few moments, we might look at one more passage. But look at, look at 2, Timothy, uh, 2 Peter 3. I want you to see that again. The second part. God is not willing for what? That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, does that mean every single person in this world is going to come to repentance? God is going to delay his coming until everybody in the world gets saved? No, of course not. But he's prolonging and he's patient. And if he can reach more people and, 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 and compel more people and love on people as much as he can, he will. But let me just say this. Jesus already mentioned that wide is the gate that leads to this destruction and many enter through it. And most of those many are those scoffers in the last day, those mockers. But if you die and you join those scoffers and mockers, if you die and you are thrust in hell, you cannot say today that God didn't love you because you heard the gospel. So many people say, well, what if that person, that person over there didn't hear? Would everyone get a chance to hear? Number one, I say, you're hearing now, aren't you? God's message is coming to you now. Number two, when you get saved, you'll be a good missionary. You have a heart for people over there? Praise God. But let me just say something. God is sending people all over the world so they can hear the gospel like this. Gospel meetings are still happening, thank God. Even in these last days, the old-fashioned gospel preaching is being preached. And God loves you. You can't say that God never loved you or he wasn't patient with you because he has been. Don't you dare blame God from the pits of hell because you can't. I believe God does all that he can to try to reach a soul. Even getting in the face of fierce religious people that crucified him. Absolutely. You know what Jesus said? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. What, what, what were the days of Noah? Eating, drinking, marrying. Until the day, until that day, Noah entered into the ark and then judgment came. That's how it's going to be toward the second coming of Christ. People are going to eat and drink and marry. Even in the coronavirus epidemic, they're still trying to manage to get married. They ain't care about God. Thank God one person did. God worked in her heart and she realized the things that she heard are coming to pass. Yep. It's happening. You know, this is a living book. I love this book. <laughs> foresight of what's taking place, I look around, it's happening. 
that's enough for me to say, Lord, I'm on your side. <laughs> I'm on your side. And by the way, it's good to be on the winning side. It's good to be on this side of God, amen, not on that side being judged for your sin because of Christ. He mediates for us. He's our covering. He's our atonement. Thank God for him. When we look at this passage, the scoffers associate themselves with God's impending judgment regarding the second coming. But we as Christians associate the promise of something that's going to be bliss. And Peter points it out. Have a look at verse 10 all the way to 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This is God's judgment. Eventually he's going to come and he's going to rain judgment upon the earth like he did in the days of Noah and in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Now he's talking to the saints of God in this way. Because of these things, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So he's pointed out the scoffers. He warns them against them because, you know, they influence us. They influence us from living ungodly, unholy lives. I'm, I'm right now, yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, if anybody undermines the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you undermine, or even the second coming, which is associated with the resurrection, you undermine holy living. This is why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, evil communication corrupts good manners. Paul the Apostle said, if there's no resurrection, if Jesus is not coming again, we might as well just live like anyone else. Eat, drink, be happy, and then we'll live and die, and we'll just go, that's it. No, <laughs> he's coming. And in the light of his coming, and in the light of what's going to take place in this world, is going to be burnt up. How should we live, brethren? You say this, live holy in every conversation. Uh, he says, holy conversation and godly, be godly. Don't be ashamed. Live holy lives looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God wherein the what? The heavens beyond fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. But nevertheless, look at this. We, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth what? Righteousness. And what a day that will be. I'm looking forward to that day, amen. I'm looking forward to dwelling with my Savior. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, your favorite passage, let, your heart, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, I'll go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, look at this, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. And where I am, you may be also. <laughs> what a blessing. What an absolute blessing. For the scoffers, oh, living in a, a deluded uh, life. Ah, no, there's no, where is the sign of his coming? Associating it with impending judgment. For us, the saints, what do we associate it with? Oh, can't wait to see our blessed Savior. Can't wait to be with him. We're going to be received. We're going to be with him for eternity. 
And I say to you today, who do you want to be? You want to be a scoffer? Or you want to be a saint? There's only two options on that. Oh, I'll take the middle ground. There's no middle ground. You're either with Christ or you're not. You can scoff and mock about the things of God or you can say, you know what, I've done, I'm done with it. And I'm done listening to those scoffers out there that love their sin. I'd rather listen to a holy God, a holy God that has purpose. And listen, a promise that wants it to be fulfilled in your life. God wants you to be with him. Don't be a scoffer. Be a saint. Say how? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Repent. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Then repent. And the way that God has made a way for us to repent is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the ark. Here's the door for us today. Let's pray.